Thank you for joining us today at Our Savior's Church, where we are one church meeting in seven different locations. We hope that today's message encourages and empowers you on your spiritual journey and helps you grow deeper in your relationship with God. To learn more about Our Savior's Church and how you can get involved, you can visit us online at OurSavior'sChurch.com. Hey, so we are wrapping up our series today on the Lord's Prayer. We are, uh, of course, Pastor Scott has, um, has walked us through this series on the Lord's Prayer uh, and talked to us about the petitions that are included there in the Lord's Prayer. We talked about uh, as we uh, pray for God's daily bread, we're really petitioning him for our provision as we pray, forgive us our trespasses or forgive us our sins as we forgive those who have sinned against us. We're petitioning him for the pardon from our sin. And then today we're praying, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And that is our petition for God's protection in our lives. We see that right here in Matthew chapter 6, verse 13. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. So today I want to talk to you about the fact that God is our protector and God is our deliverer. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for all the truth that is found there in your word. Lord, today we pray, God, that we would be reminded of our great need for you. God, that we would be reminded that you are our protector, that you desire to protect us from the enemy. God, you're not only our protector, you're also our deliverer today. Lord, as we read your word, the scriptures are filled with stories of deliverance, of people that you brought from bondage. Lord, there may be here people, there may be people here today that feel trapped in the bondage of sin, the bondage of temptation. Lord, we pray today, deliver them. Not because of who they are, but because of who you are. Lord, we pray, God, that you would help us to see that there's always a way out of our sin and into the presence of a Savior. Lord, anoint your word today. Lord, I pray that when we leave this place, we'd have a better understanding of who you are and who you desire to be in each one of our lives. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So the request in this prayer is that God would keep the evil one from harming us in such a way that we would miss out on the prior petitions that we've prayed for in the Lord's Prayer. Because listen, if he leads us into temptation in a way that causes us to get caught up and give in to sin and evil, then he can keep us from praying, hallowed be thy name. Because I don't know about you, but there are times when I've made poor choices and I've chosen sin over righteousness, and, and you know how it is. Listen, the enemy, we'll talk about this in a little bit, but the enemy tempts us, and when we take the bait, he follows it up right, he follows it right up with guilt and condemnation. Right? And there are times when we take the bait that all of a sudden the guilt causes us from see, being able to pray, hallowed be thy name. When we take the bait, when we follow the enemy into temptation and sin, we'll also be distracted from his kingdom. Thy kingdom come. 
Because sin produces selfishness in us. Sin causes us to be inward, inward drawn. It causes us to focus on our needs instead of the needs of the kingdom. And then we'll refuse to submit to his will. But we'll, because we'll be so caught up in what we want. Again, that selfishness. That we won't submit to his will. And that will lead to the interruption of God's provision in our lives. And, and it, it, it makes us, sin makes us so focused on ourselves that we lose sight of our need to forgive those that have trespassed against us. Satan's goal is to distance us from fellowship with God because if he can accomplish that, then he can disrupt everything else. Jesus says, pray that he would not lead us into temptation. In scripture, uh, temptation really can be both positive and negative. When we talk about the positive side of that, we're really talking about trials. Because though we don't like trials, or at least I don't like trials, you may like them. But even though we don't like trials, the Bible says that God will allow us, allow us to go through trials that will be for our benefit. Trials can benefit us. Temptations that are not seen and, 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 and resisted can destroy us. And the context tells us whether this is a trial or a temptation, whether this is positive or negative. We know here in this prayer it's negative because he tells us to pray that we would be delivered from it. Now, why would, why would we need to pray asking God not to lead us into temptation? Because J James chapter 1, verse 13 says this, let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot tempt, be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. No, what God leads us into is not temptation. What God leads us into at times is trials. And it's almost a reminder to ourselves, if this is something God's leading us to, it's not a temptation to, to resist. It's a, it's a trial, really, to embrace. Trials or adverse circumstances or negative things that are designed to allow us to develop spiritually. Again, we don't like them. We don't want them. But God will use them in our lives. A trial is a negative event that God causes or allows it serves the purpose of maturing us spiritually. When you go read through the book of James... If you haven't done so in a while, you should go read through the book of James because the entire theme of the book of James is maturity. Telling us to grow in our faith. Can I just tell you, if we're going to, if we're going to say yes to God and no to the enemy, if we're going to say yes to the things of God and no to the, to the leanings of our flesh, it's going to require some maturity. Right? I think I'm a mature person at 57, but I can make some immature decisions. I'm glad Tara will not, will, won't, is not here because she may jump up and tell you something. <laughs> In my marriage, I think I've said this to you before, but if you go look at 1 Corinthians 13, where Paul gives us that healthy description of love in marriage. Love is patient, love is kind, love is long-suffering, not easily provoked. He follows it up with, when I was a child, I thought as a child, I spoke as a child and understood as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. You know what Paul's saying? It takes maturity to operate in healthy love. It takes maturity to be patient. 
It takes maturity to not seek your own way. And so it takes maturity to allow God to use a trial in our lives in order to bring something good in our lives. When God brings or allows situations in our lives that isn't sinful but is difficult, we're to view them as a trial and pray that God would help us to see the benefit of it. Listen, don't, make the hand, don't mistake the hand of God for the difficulties of people. Because you know how it is. When, when we go through something difficult, I don't know about you, I just start rebuking the devil and talking bad about the people around me. I, I'm going through this because of him. He brought this trouble into my life, right? We start trying to blame people. I know I'm not the only one. Right? Because here's what I know. We either accept responsibility or we project responsibility. And it's a whole lot easier to project it because then you don't have to take responsibility for it. But more times than not, we've got to accept responsibility for where we are and what we're going through so that it produces something good in us. If God let it go from his heart through his hand into our life, we need to view it as a trial. Satan doesn't want us to see it as a trial because he wants us to miss the purpose of the trial. He wants to get us to a place where we don't understand it, that, that this is a trial so that we can have a negative thought about God. Why isn't God protecting me from this? Right? And if he can get us to turn our eyes on blaming God or questioning God, then he can cause us to miss the purpose of the trial. Listen to James chapter 1. We're going to be in James uh, chapter 1 some today. James chapter 1 verses 2, and th- 2 through 4 says this. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. When a trial comes into our lives and we trust God through the trial, and we walk through the trial, and we grow through the trial, all of a sudden the Bible says it produces maturity and completeness in us. So a trial from the Lord is meant to develop us, but a temptation from Satan is meant to defeat us. And not only defeat us, but again, cause us to distance ourselves from God. At times, trials and temptations can happen around the same event. Satan will piggyback on a trial in order to tempt us. We see it right here in Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4, we see where Satan tried to tempt Jesus. You remember this? If you look at Matthew 4 verse 1, the Bible says that the Spirit of the Lord brought Jesus into the desert to be tempted by the enemy. The spirit of the Lord. I'm like, I'm looking for a different spirit, right? But the spirit of the Lord, Jesus was led by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. God's goal was to show Jesus passing the test. Satan's goal was to make sure Jesus failed the test. Same test, same time, same place. One was a trial and one was a temptation. You know the book of Job, 
right? Satan goes to God and he says, hey, this guy Job that you think so much about, if, you, if he didn't have your blessings, he would curse you. And God opened the door for Satan to begin to tempt Job. God was testing Job to see if he would praise him even when things weren't going his way. Because you know how it is. It's easy to praise Jesus when you get a raise. It's easy to praise Jesus when your kids start acting right. It's easy to praise Jesus in the good times. But when you go through difficulty and you go through loss, it's not always so easy. When Job was losing stuff, would he still serve God? But Satan was tempting him through the same test to turn his back on God so he wouldn't see God's hand in the middle of his situation. You remember what Job's wife said? What Job's wife say? Curse God and die. Well, thank you, baby. Right? Job's wife looked at everything he was going through and said, you should just curse God and die. So when you're being tested or when you're being tempted, which way will you go? Because God will allow testing in order to take us to a new spiritual level when we pass it. Can we trust God even when things don't make sense? Can we trust God even in the middle of our loss that we don't understand? Can we trust God when we thought something was going to be to our benefit, but it really has caused more pain than pleasure? You remember Luke 22, Peter's trial. Peter told Jesus arrogantly, if everybody leaves you, I'm with you no matter what. And Jesus said, before the cock crows three times, you will deny me. Peter said, never. But we know what happened. God had to break Peter before he could make him to what he needed him to be in order for him to be used by God in a way that God wanted to use him. Can I just tell you, sometimes God's got to break us before he can make us. God's got to break some things off of us before he can use us. Because if we're not careful and, 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 and the hand of God gets further along than our maturity, right? All of a sudden, we can become self-reliant and self-dependent. We can be arrogant in the middle of God's blessings. So sometimes God, God's got to break us before he can make us. So Jesus told us to pray, lead us not into temptation. In other words, don't let me get in a situation beyond what I can handle, but deliver me from evil. If I'm already in a situation that's too much for me, God, get me out of it. So how does temptation work? Well, let me read James chapter 1, verses 14 and 15. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Let me just remind you, that's the end goal of the enemy is death. Right? John chapter 10, verse 10. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. So here we see the pattern of temptation. Temptation always starts with a desire, a lust or a desire. 
And Satan will create a craving in us for something that is outside of God's will for us, outside of God's best for us. We see it there in the garden with Adam and Eve. You remember, they were told not to eat from the one tree. The entire garden was there, but there was that one tree. Why do we always want what we can't have? When Satan tempted Eve, it said, it said this. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was, delight, it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and she ate it. She ate it because Satan created a desire for it. Now, let me just tell you this. Satan knows our weaknesses. You may not think he does. You may not want him to. But Satan knows our weaknesses. He knows what our desires are. He knows what can entice us. And Satan will use our desires at the right time, a time of weakness, a time of frustration, a time when we're distant from God in order to lure us away from what God has for us. I'm not a fisherman, right? But every once in a while, I have friends who fish and I'll go out with them and uh, they open their tackle box. I'm like, why not just have one lure? That's what makes sense to me, right? They open, they've got all these different lures and it's because if I'm, if I'm fishing for bass, I'm use, if I'm fishing for whatever, shoot pick, I'm just using baloney, Right? <laughs> Because a fisherman knows what will entice a certain fish. And Satan knows what will entice us. Satan always, always has a hook connecting to the, connected to the thing that he's trying to entice us with. A lure, it doesn't do its job because it's pretty and it moves cool. A, jewel, a, a, a lure does its job because it attracts and it hooks. And that's the goal of the enemy. And let me just tell you, again, the enemy knows our desires. The, the enemy knows what will entice you. Can I just tell you, the devil will never, has never tried to tempt me with drugs. I've never smoked a drug. I've never taken a drug. I've, I've, not, I've never done, that, that's, not, that's nowhere in my mind, right? That's not my weakness. So Satan's not trying to send people to sell me drugs, now, when I leave my house and I come down Congress <laughs> and I'm going to my counseling office in River Ranch and, and I get to Bertrand and I turn left on Bertrand, that mesh is donuts right there. <laughs> and I just go, I rebuke you, Satan. I ain't taking the lure and I'm not taking the hook unless it's chocolate covered. Let me just remind us, Satan won't let us see the hook until he already has us hooked. Satan won't let us see the hook. Satan uses pretty lures. Satan uses attractive lures. Satan uses enticing lures. But in every lure, there is a hook. 
And he, wouldn't let, he won't let us see the hook because that, that defeats the Lord. It's not until we take the bait that all of a sudden we're caught and then we realize there was a hook in this. And when he gets you hooked, then he reels you in to slice you up and make you feel condemned and worthless. That's such a trick of the enemy, isn't it? It's such a trick of the enemy to convince us we want what we shouldn't have only for us to take the bait and then all of a sudden he goes into guilt and condemnation to make us feel like we're worthless and that we're separated from God because that's his end goal. I I, I may have shared this with you before, but it's, it's worth repeating. There are two scriptures, there are two words in scripture that you should be mindful of. One is conviction and one is condemnation. Conviction always comes from the Holy Spirit and it always draws us to Christ. Condemnation always comes from the enemy and it always draws us away from Christ. When we mess up, the Holy Spirit comes to convict us of sin. The Bible says he convinces us, convicts us of sin and convinces us of righteousness. The conviction of the Holy Spirit comes and says, you messed up. 1 John 1, 9, confess your sins. He's faithful and just to forgive you. Cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Make things right with God. That's conviction from the Holy Spirit. At the same time, the enemy comes with condemnation and says, look what you did. You'll never change. God's done with you. You told God you wouldn't do this again. And here you are again. Conviction comes from the Holy Spirit to draw us to Christ. Condemnation comes to the enemy, comes from the enemy to draw us away from Christ. Be careful who you listen to. Be careful who you listen to because Romans chapter 8 verse 1 says, There is therefore now no condemnation to those of us who are in Christ Jesus. Listen, the enemy can speak condemnation, but he can't condemn me. I belong to the Savior. Amen? James 1, 14 and 15. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Listen, then desire when it has conceived gives birth to sin and sin when it is fully grown brings forth death. Listen, the desire isn't sin. The temptation isn't sin. The conception is sin. The the fact that your flesh wants you to sin isn't the problem. Your flesh is just doing what flesh does. Right? Flesh seeks its own way. Flesh wants what it wants and it wants it now. That's the temptation isn't the sinful, isn't sinful. It's the decision to act on that temptation and step into sin. That's when it becomes sinful. Listen, you don't become fat by looking at a cake. And that's a pretty cake. Look how many layers in that cake. How'd they bake that cake? No, you get fat when you eat the cake. How many of you want some cake right now? Y'all bring in the cake. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. That's not sin. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin. That sin and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Sin brings forth death. Listen, not always physical, but spiritual death. 
Listen, spiritual death isn't when we no longer exist. Spiritual death is when we're separated from God. Satan's goal is to get us to sin so he can bring separation between us and our Savior. Because if he can separate us from God, then he can keep us from drawing close to God. He can keep keep us from experiencing all that God has for us. So we pray, Lord, lead me not into something that is beyond me and something I can't handle. James 1.16 says this, do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. In other words, don't take the bait. Don't forget that the Lord has a hook. If we're going to overcome temptation, we're going to have to change our focus. Proverbs 23, 7 says this, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. Listen, what you focus on many times becomes who you are. And if you spend all your time focusing on that temptation, how pretty she is, how handsome he is, how much you need that extra money, even though it's not a legitimate business deal. If that's what you focus on, many times that's what you give into. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. What we focus on has a greater chance of controlling us. Let me tell you four things that we need to focus on. It's found in James 1, 17 and 18. Every good and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will he be, will he of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. So right here in this passage he gives us four things that we should focus on, four things that should be our focus. First of all, we need to focus on the goodness of God. Can I just tell you when you go back to the garden of Eden and, and Adam and Eve what did Satan do to Eve? He started trying to convince her that God was bad, that God wasn't for her, right? Did, you remember he said, did, did God really say that you couldn't eat any of the fruit in the garden? That's not what God said. No, because he's a liar. The truth isn't in him. So he tries to get us to think that God is keeping from something from us, and we've got to focus on the goodness of God. He said this, Every good and perfect gift is from the Father above. Listen, when was the last time you reminded yourself how lost you were before God rescued you? When was the last time you sat down and just wrote out your salvation story? That's a great exercise. Just sit down and write down your salvation story to remind yourself, this is who I was. This is what God did to reach me. And look what God has done because God is good. And God has been good to me. Amen? Amen. Listen, if, if you're struggling in your marriage, that's a good exercise. Sit down and write the story of how y'all met. Remind yourself of what you felt. Oh, I know what you're feeling today, and it ain't good. Right? But remind yourself what you thought of when she first walked out of that door. Or when he first showed up to pick you up on that first date. Remind yourself of what you felt and what you thought. Remind yourself of where you got engaged and, oh, man, everything surrounding that, all the debt. So, and then <laughs> remind, yourself of, remind yourself of your wedding day. 
Sometimes we just got to remind ourselves of the good things. And listen, when it comes to God, there is plenty of good things. Amen? So the first thing we focus on is the goodness of God. The second thing we focus on is the faithfulness of God. It says this, James said, there is no variation or shadow due to change. Listen, can I just tell you? The sun has never quit shining. The sun always shines. Even when it's nighttime, the sun, the sun is shining somewhere. Now, the sun is consistent. It's the turning of the earth that produces darkness and shadows. James is saying if we're going to have victory, we're going to have to focus on the God that doesn't move and the God that doesn't change. Listen, the circumstances that are around us are always moving and always tra- changing, but we serve a God that changeth not. Amen? 1 Corinthians 10.13 says this, No temptation has ta- overtaken you that is not common to man. This is a great scripture. Just listen to it. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. You know what this is saying? That even in the midst of your temptation, God is faithful and God is in control. Oh, he may allow the enemy to tempt you, but the Bible says he won't let the enemy tempt you to the point that it's beyond what you're able to bear. That means even in the midst of your temptation, God is faithful. Even in the midst of our temptation, God is still in control. Listen, in order to pass the test, we got to go through it. I, I was never a good test taker, but I was never a good student either. Right? But in order to pass the test... In order to get from where we are to where God wants us to be so that God can use us to do things we've never done before, we got to pass the test. Number three, so first we focus on the goodness of God. Then we focus on the faithfulness of God. Number three, we focus on his word. Verse 18 says this, of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth. We were brought forth by the word of God. God is truth. Satan is a liar. We need to focus on what God says about us. We need to focus on what God says, not what we feel, not what we think, and not what other people say about us or our situation. Because listen, if you start listening to the people around you, remember Job's wife, curse God and die. When you're going through a difficult, there's always going to, Satan's always going to have somebody there going, man, I can't believe God. Aren't you a Christian? Don't you go to church and God's going to let you go through this? Don't focus on what you think. Don't focus on what you feel. And don't focus on other people's opinions. Focus on the word of God. Oh, this is what I feel, but this is the word of God says. This is what I'm thinking, but let me go to the word of God and see what the word of God says. Oh, I know what my, my mama's telling me, but let me see what my God is telling me. Praise his goodness, trust his faithfulness, and quote his word. Psalms 119, whatever verse of scripture it is toward the end, that says, I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. 
Listen, begin to hide the word of God in your heart. Begin to memorize scripture so that when the enemy comes, you can do exactly what Jesus did in Matthew 4. He began to quote scripture. It wasn't about what he felt. Let me just walk you through that real quick. Matthew 4. Now just remember, Jesus had just come off of a 40-day fast, right? Sometimes I fast like between breakfast and lunch, but I've never done 40 days. So (laughs) it says this. Now when the tempter came, he said this, if you're the son of God, so first of all, he's attacking his position and who he is. If you're the son of God, command these stones to become bread. He hasn't eaten in 40 days. The devil knew exactly what Lord to use. Do you think Jesus was hungry? Of course he was. It said earlier, he, when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights afterward, he was hungry. That's exactly where the enemy went. Because the enemy knew his weakness. The enemy knew his leaning. The new enemy knew what he, the Lord to use. But Jesus didn't talk about how hungry he was. He didn't talk about how good the bread would be. You remember Ryan's bread, like Ryan's uh, buffet? That was some good bread. Let's pray. Jesus' response was, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. It doesn't matter what I think. It doesn't matter what I feel. What matters is what the word of God says. Then Then Satan comes right back and said to him, if you're the son of God, attacking his position and who he was, if you're the son of God, throw yourself down for it is written. Listen to this. Satan starts quoting scripture. You better hide your word, God's word in your heart because Satan already has. And if you're going to defeat him, it's not going to be de- you're not going to defeat him with your thoughts and your feelings. You're going to defeat him with the word of God. Amen. Satan basically says, wait, doesn't Psalms 91 say he shall give his angels charge over you and in their hands they shall bear you up lest you dash your foot against a stone? And Jesus said, for it is written, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. And then again, the devil took him up on the exceedingly high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these things I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Let me just stop there. Let me tell you one of the biggest tricks of the enemy to promise you something that's not his to deliver. You know what? You see what he just did? He told Jesus the Son of God, the Father, the Creator, that He would give Him all the kingdoms of the world. They weren't His to give. The enemy is trying to convince you that joy is going to come if you just do what he says. Listen, we don't need joy like the world gives us. We need the joy that comes only from God the Father, only through Jesus Christ. But Satan will regularly promise you things that's not his to give. And Jesus' response was, Away with you, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. He didn't reason with the devil. He used the word of God to defeat the devil. Can I just tell you, Satan's totally fine hearing what you think and what you feel. Because he can work with that. He can manipulate that. He can send somebody to help manipulate that. 
But when you remind him of what God's word says, it's a whole different story. So we focus on the goodness of God. We focus on the faithfulness of God. We focus on his word. And then lastly, we focus on his perspective. Because he said this, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his uh, creation or his creatures. Now, when we talk about first fruits, some of you know that the Bible refers to the tithe, right? The Bible calls us to tithe our income. So we bring a tenth of our income into the house of the Lord in order to fund the work of the Lord. And the Bible says that that's the, for our first fruits. For Tara and I, the very first check we write, well, we don't write checks, but we have it, you know, whatever. So um, the very first money that's distributed out of that paycheck goes to the church, because we want to give God our first fruits, because that's what the Bible says we should do. And listen, the first fruits represents honor. What we're saying when the very first 10% that comes out goes to the church or goes to God is we're saying, you're what's most important to us. You're what's most important to us because of who you are and who you've been in our lives. But we also understand that you are the one who can bring provision in our lives. Listen, the church can't multiply our money. Slimco can't uh, multiply our money. Albertsons sure can't multiply our money. They just multiplying the, 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 the price of things, right? But we honor God as the, with the first fruits because we know God can take 10% and do something with it that we won't, even, we won't have any needs, right? I'm not saying we won't have any needs, but in other words, God can multiply that to meet our needs. So the first fruits. In this passage of James, God is saying that we are his first fruits. We're his first fruits. It's, it's, it's almost like the first fruits are the cream of the crop, right? And God's saying, hey, here he's talking about us. Hey, you're the cream of my crop. The first fruits represents the precious things. And what God is saying is, you're precious to me. He says, we're his first fruits. Can I just tell you, don't let Satan define you as less than when God's already called you his first fruits. When God's already called you his precious creation. You're not just another person. No, you're God's first fruit. As you shift your focus, you'll begin to see God for who he is. And you'll begin to see yourself as who you are in God's eyes. So God's our protector. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. But he's not only our protector, he is our deliverer. I don't have these scriptures on your screen, but let me just read them to you. Psalms 50, verse 15, call upon me in the days of trouble and I will deliver you and you shall glorify me. I don't know what you're going through, but I know this. Just call on Jesus. Just call on the deliverer. Uh, Psalms 91, verses 14 and 15. Because he loves me, says the Lord, I will rescue him. I will protect him, for he acknowledges my name. He will call on me, and I will answer him, and I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him, and I will honor him. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 18. The Lord will rescue me from every evil attack and will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. To him be glory forever and ever. Listen, 
He is our deliverer. He can deliver us from circumstances, situations, people, and he can deliver us from the evil one. So this Lord's Prayer, as we pray it, wraps up with this doxology. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. That doxology really wasn't in the original manuscripts. Uh, uh, Historians tell us it was probably added by a scribe somewhere, but it is a great, great um, exclamation mark to all that the Lord's Prayer promises us. Would you bow your heads? Can I just tell you, the first step in having the provision of God, the first step in having the pardon of God for your sin, the first step in having the protection of God from the enemy is simply saying yes to Jesus as Savior. Maybe you're struggling in your life and you're constantly given into temptation. Maybe it's because you've never really surrendered your heart to God. Maybe you've never taken the steering wheel of your life, if you will, and just said, here, God, you drive. I've made a mess of things. The Bible tells us in Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10, that if we confess with our mouth and believe in our heart that Jesus is the Son of God and that he was raised from the dead, Romans 10, 13 says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. I want to give you an opportunity to call on Jesus today. Maybe, you've, maybe you know that you're not walking in a right relationship with God. Listen, today is your opportunity. The Bible says that today is the day of salvation. I'm going to ask you right now, if you want to say yes to Jesus as Savior, I just want you to lift your hand and put it right back down. We won't embarrass you. Thank you. We won't call you forward. Thank you. I just want to pray a prayer with you. If you want to be included in this prayer, thank you. Just lift your hand right now and let me pray with you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. There in the back. Thank you. Thank you. Anyone else? I want to lead you in a prayer. I I want you to repeat these words after me out loud, uh, but I want them to just come from your heart. I'm just helping you articulate what the Holy Spirit's doing in you right now. And I'm asking every believer to pray in support of you. Can we pray today? Dear Lord Jesus, I believe that you are the Son of God. I believe that on the cross... You took my sin, my shame, and my guilt, and you died for it. I believe that you faced hell for me so I would not have to go. I believe you rose from the dead to give me a place in heaven, a purpose on earth, and a relationship with your Father. Today, Lord Jesus, I turn from my sin to follow you with all of my heart, no matter what it costs me. And I declare that God is my Father. Jesus is my Savior. The Holy Spirit is my helper. And heaven is now my home. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, can we celebrate with those that made the best decision you will ever make this morning? Hey, stand with me, if you will. We do have a lot of announcements this morning. I'm going to run through them real quick, but we're going to be able to give you some some way to follow up on those. So first, we have Monday night football right here tomorrow night for the men's night. It's going to be Saints and Panthers. Doors open at 6 p.m. 
Secondly, next Sunday, we will have water baptism. You need to sign up for that, so please go to the welcome desk and sign up, or we're going to give you a way to sign up here in a minute. And then the third thing is that October 5th, I believe, uh, we are starting the women's Bible study at Lafayette campus. Miss Heidi is going to be leading on Esther. And then lastly, we will have uh, the QR code up on the screen. Or, uh, sorry, 94,000, you can text uh, 94,000 or scan that QR code and get all of these announcements, all the information that you need about Midtown. And then lastly, as over, as every Sunday, we will have our prayer team up in the front. So if you guys need prayer for any reason, we would love to pray with you. Let's pray. Father, we love you. God, we're so thankful for the words that you spoke over us today. We ask you help us to walk in conviction and not condemnation this week. We ask you be with us, guide us, guard us, and keep us. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. See you guys next week.